Welcome back to part two of our special Constitution Day episode of Bel Air Radio. Happy Constitution Day, Carisha. Happy Constitution Day, Jaysha. I'm your host, Jaysha Smalls. And I'm your girl, Misha B. Jaysha, did you get those presents I sent to you for Constitution Day? Oh, yeah, that was that box on my doorstep. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got him. I got him. Yeah. You got it. What yeah. did you get me? Well, I forgot to get you something, but I do have my old time machine gadget. Remember from the previous episode? Uh, that didn't go so well for me last time. Are you going to come it, along with me? Yes, I'm going to come. It works. It works. But we're going to go. And guess what? We're going to witness the signing of, you know, the Constitution. Wow, that's going to be so much fun. I know, I know, I know. But before we go, we have some great interviews coming up. I interviewed historian Martha Jones. We hope you enjoy the show. And next time that you will see us together, we will be in Philadelphia at the signing of the U.S. Constitution. Stay tuned. Since its beginning, Bennett College students have fought to fulfill the promises of equality set forth in the 14th Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. One of the amendments that ratified citizenship for all persons born or naturalized in the United States and guaranteed equal protection of the law for all. In the early years under President Dr. David Dallas Jones. Bennett students refused to ride on segregated buses. They walked downtown instead. In 1938, area theater owners attempted to edit out progressive movie scenes of black characters who were not portrayed in a stereotypical fashion. Bennett College students leverage the economic power of the African-American community by staging a citywide boycott of the downtown theaters to reverse this practice. Then in 1959, in a small meeting room in the student union, Bennett Bells laid out the plan for a sit-in at the Woolworth lunch counter with the blessing of then-president Willoughby Player. This launched a political movement which lasted for several years. As a result, most Greensboro stores were desegregated by the mid-1960s. The students were arrested, they refused bail, and to keep up with their classwork, the president, Dr. Player, delivered their assignments to jail. The 15th Amendment gave African-American men the right to vote, the 19th Amendment gave all women the right to vote. However, many practices were still in place to exclude African-American men and women from voting. Bells led a program called Operation Doorknock to inform the community and register citizens to vote during the early 60s. They went into the neighborhood and visited people in their homes. They talk with them about the importance of their vote to democracy and citizenship. That commitment to voting rights continues today. Bennett bills are voting bills, and they demand equality and fight for social justice. It is in that spirit 
we all meet today to continue this important work. So joining me today, she is a professor at Johns Hopkins University, a historian, a writer, and for the Bennett community, she is the granddaughter of Bennett's first president, David Dallas Jones. She is Martha Jones. Ms. Martha Jones, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So just to start off the conversation, for the Bennett community, I had to know, what was Bennett like um, being on campus as a little girl? It was quiet. <laughs> and we were small kids and we had the run of the campus. And so um, we don't tell anybody, we played in the chapel, um, we played in the infirmary, um, we played in the dining hall. My grandmother's house is still on the Bennett campus at 716 wow. Laurel Street. Um, and so um, as a kid, I sat on that front, front porch um, and I watched um, as the bells did their thing all day and um, felt like I was with the big kids. Um, there was a man in those days who cut the lawn and, and, and worked with a transistor radio. So I, I, I had the music um, as he was working around the grounds. Um, and, uh, you know, Bennett was a, a safe place. Um, it was a thoughtful place. The conversations were always about the real world, um, what was happening around us. I was raised in the civil rights generation. I was young, but Bennett was a place where we understood those things. We talked about those things. We debated those things. And we never forgot the bigger world that we were a part of, even as we were in this very safe place in Greensboro. Yes, that's awesome. That's still the same today. So that's good. Now your newest book, Vanguard, I see it in the background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's over so, here. <laughs> yeah, I see it. So what was the influence on that? And you could tell tell listeners and our viewers um what's it about. Sure. Um so Vanguard, um, how black women broke barriers, won the vote, and insisted on equality for all is a looks at 200 years of black women's political history with an mm -hmm. emphasis on voting rights. And in a sense asks, how did we get here? Um, mm -hmm. How did we arrive at a moment in the 21st century when six black women were on Joe Biden's shortlist for the vice presidency, where mm -hmm. 120 plus black women are running for Congress? where in a state like Alabama, black women can turn the outcome of a special election to the US Senate like they did in 2017. Um, I knew that the answer to that story was not in a narrative that focused on Susan B. Anthony or Elizabeth Cady Stanton, that black women had their own sheroes, they had their own political history. And I am very fortunate to be part of an organization called the Association of Black Women's Historians, um, part of three going on four generations of Black women's historians who have been at, the, at work on these questions. And I took my chance to try and stand on the shoulders of that work and offer us a story that would really help us discern better, yes, as Black women, but really as a country, 
um, who someone like Senator Harris is, where she comes from. I heard in the NPR interview that you did um, about the 19th Amendment, and you said racism runs through the debates over women's suffrage. Could you elaborate on that and um, let me know what that means? Sure. Um, if we turn the clock back to um, the 1860s, a very long time ago, when we have the founding of the first women's suffrage associations um, in the United States, already we can demonstrate how um, some women in those movements not only themselves espoused racist ideas, they believed in educated suffrage, which meant the vote for white women before any black person would get the vote, man mm -hmm. or woman. Um, and in order to further their cause, um, there were leaders within that movement who were willing to be political bedfellows with white supremacists if it might win mm -hmm. women the vote. Um, and this is an important, though regrettable, thread in the movement for women's suffrage. By the time we get to the 20th century, it is an open secret that Black women suffragists are going to be relegated to the sidelines to win the support of white women suffragists um, mm -hmm. who will not work in the movement mm -hmm. alongside mm -hmm. Black women. And that by the time the amendment is being debated in Congress and then in the individual states, it is openly confessed that the 19th Amendment will succeed because nothing in it will interfere with the right of the individual states, particularly those in the South, to use literacy tests and poll taxes and grandfather clauses and more to disenfranchise black women. There's nothing in the 19th Amendment, intentionally so, consciously so, there's nothing in the 19th Amendment that will protect black women from what the states plan to do, which is to disenfranchise them just as they have already disenfranchised black men. So what has to happen when the amendment is placed in the US Constitution for it to become reality for everyone? The 19th Amendment is a, a great example. Um, words in the Constitution that say um, no longer may states use sex as a criteria for voting rights, um, but they stay words on the paper um, in the 19th Amendment's example until Black women really test those words. How do they test them? Um, in the fall of 1920, after the amendment has become part of the Constitution, Black women have to organize. They set up suffrage schools. They teach one another. How do you register? How do you pay a poll tax? What's a literacy test? So there is education that has to happen, right? And then there has to be organizing. You've got to turn out at the registrar and you've got to do it in a way that's safe. Um, so you're going to organize together, come out as a group, safety in numbers to avoid violence and intimidation. Um, this is the way that Black women begin to breathe meaning into the 19th Amendment, or at least to test the meaning. So 
think about how long a story that is from 1870 and the 15th Amendment till 1965, almost 100 years, right, before we get the kind of teeth, right, that permit Black Americans to insist on the spirit of the 15th Amendment. For the, the younger women at Bennett and younger women, women all over, talk about um, what does voting mean to you and how important voting is and, you know, where does voting take us years from now? So um, one of the things I did when writing Vanguard was finally look at my own family history of voting rights. I didn't know anything about it. Oh, and wow. what I learned reminded me how hard the people, my forebears, struggled to win the vote. Um, David Dallas Jones's father, Sidney Jones, lived in Greensboro in the 1870s. David Jones was raised in Greensboro, born and raised in Greensboro. His father, Sidney Jones, was a barber, but he was also a Republican Party activist. And I was able to find in the records of the Greensboro Historical Museum, the flyer um, that circulated in Greensboro probably around 1890, telling white Democrat officials to keep an eye out for Sidney uh, Dallas Jones, um, David Jones's father, and to make sure he didn't vote along with the names of 400 other black men um, living in Greensboro and in Guilford County. Um, so when I learned that story, that that's my great-grandfather um, who was publicly intimidated and threatened um, because he was a party activist, because he was getting out the black vote and trying to exert control in Greensboro and in North Carolina. Well, that told me something about what I have inherited, what we all have inherited, right? Mm -hmm. Because his story is not just my story, it's all of our stories. Susie Jones's mother, Fannie Williams, was in St. Louis, Missouri in 1920. She was a suffragist and she organized black women in a suffrage school in 1920 at the Phyllis Wheatley YWCA, um, teaching all black women in, in St. Louis how to register, how to get to the polls, how to cast their ballots. Um, so um, these are the, the histories of how we get here. Um, and I think learning those histories just made me all the more committed to being educated myself um, to being prepared myself, um, to share what I know in my community here in Baltimore about what we need to do to cast our ballots, um, and to use that power, not because it's the only power we have, but it's mm -hmm. one piece of the puzzle um, when it comes to political power for Black Americans and for all Americans. Um, but learning those histories really inspired me to not sleep in on election day or send back my ballot too late or forget to sign the envelope, all those things that can happen around election day. Um, this is not the year to do that. This is the year to honor the sacrifices and the risk and the courage of the folks who came before us um, and to do our part um, on election day. Thank you so much for joining me, Ms. Martha Jones. I've heard that we'll be seeing you again on Founders Day. So yeah. we're excited for that. 
Thank you so much for joining me. It was definitely a pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been a pleasure and I very much look forward to being back with you all um, for Founders Day. It's one of my um, favorite days of the year. So um, I look forward to seeing all of you then. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, she got me some nice things. Oh, a feather pin. I'm going to heart with that. Oh, one of those gray powdered wigs. Oh, I'm wearing that on Halloween. Okay, what's this? Uh, uh, hello. Madison bobblehead. Uh, hello. She got me some nice stuff. Ooh. Hello, Jaisha. Uh, oh, hey, where Jaisha. are you? Hang out. Where you at? Where are you? I lost track of time. You know, you got me some good gifts, girl. You know. But you know, you but got this me, you know, promise you you were coming with me. What happened? Permission, you got me some good gifts here. Okay, I forgot. I'm sorry, but you're there, so just give us, you know, the special report at the competition. Jaisha, I mean, everyone seems to be excited about the signing of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hot in here. I don't have any reception on my phone. I can't access any of my social media. And there are no black people. I need to come back to 2020 right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Please send okay. me back now. Okay, I'm working on it. Just hold still, okay? Just hold still. Hurry up. I'm scared. Okay, I want to. I'm Robert Williams and my colleagues, uh, Carla, Dr. McLucas, and Dr. Bookman are also with me. And uh, do you want to, do y'all want to say anything first before I restart the discussion by chance? Um, yeah, I'll say something really fast. Um, so my name is Jason Smalls. I'm a ju yeah. junior journalism and media studies major from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And um, creating this was awesome. Um, interviewing Dr. Yeah. Jones was definitely a highlight for me right about now in 2020. And just to hear all the information was a little bit overwhelming, but I would say powerful and definitely intriguing and everyone um, should, you know, um, hear the information and take light of the information. So um, thank you all for liking it and the comments and um, just supporting us. And it was very much fun. I enjoyed this even through Zoom. So <laughs> thank you. Um, I'll say something as well. Um, I'm Carmisha Blackman, a junior JMS major from Greensboro, North Carolina. And this has been a very educational um, opportunity, also a networking opportunity. And yeah, I also just appreciate the love and support that you all have shown us. And yeah, so it was fun. And thank you all again. All right. I think that Carmisha and Jason did a wonderful job. I found it very fascinating myself. I, I'm not into really uh, broadcast journalism and so on. So I found it just fascinating how this all worked and was put together. So would my colleagues, uh, Dr. Bookman and Dr. McLucas like to say something first before we start the discussion? The only thing I would like to say, of course, is to thank all of the wonderful students for their hard work. I am so proud of this project and of course, the library, uh, Joan Williams and Amy did an oh. excellent job in the archives, finding those wonderful photos 
I think this is one of the better uh, Constitution Day programs mm. that we've had, although each year they have a different <laughs> flavor. Lipscomb, uh, kudos to you, to the uh, JMS department in total. I am not going to uh, say anything in substance. I do want to say mm. how much I enjoyed the interview and bringing forth the Black women's participation in the civil rights, yeah. uh, uh, in the uh, suffragette movement, the uh, movement for uh, getting women the right to vote. It is a story that is not often told. I am so proud of the work coming out of Bennett College about it. I put in the remarks that I actually gave the uh, Bennett Bell book to our two uh, political science graduates. I was so happy with the work that she did in researching the activist role that uh, African-American women played. So I cannot wait for mm -hmm. uh, our presentation uh, on Founders Day and Comicatum uh, Est and to potentially have, I don't know if we're planning a book signing or anything, I'd love to get her book. I have not gotten it yet, but I certainly will add it to my library. So I have nothing further to say. I am going to uh, turn it over to my other two colleagues. Thank you, Dr. Bookman, Dr. Williams. Thank you all, everyone who was on this project, the students. This is wonderful. I'm so glad that Dr. Jones will return back to Bennett College next week. Uh, she was wonderful when she spoke before, and I know with the election coming, the 19th Amendment 100th anniversary uh, this past, it'll be an excellent time. I wanna ask a question though, um, Autumn Lee. Uh, everyone can ask questions. I'm supposed to be moderating, moderating the question, but Autumn Lee, there was an article in the LA Times about college students not wanting or uh, encouraging college students to vote. And there was one college student who gave a real name, which I shouldn't, she shouldn't have done because social media has really lambasted her. But the student said she saw no difference between uh, President Trump and Mr. Biden, and therefore she wasn't going to vote either the national or the on the local level. How do you respond to students, especially Gen Z's who are just, just think that voting is not important? Yeah, um, thank you for asking that. Usually when I hear that and I've heard my peers say it, I've heard a lot of people say it, I just remind them that, well, one, as a college student, you're one of the populations that is targeted for voter suppression. Um, so you want to make sure that you're really fighting for your, the right for you to be heard, everyone on your campus to be heard. Um, you want to make sure that, you know, you're, you're voting down ballot, even if, you know, we are nonpartisan as an organization. We do encourage you to like look up things that matter to you, like um, you know certain issues like education, civil rights. All of those have connections to offices down ballot that will really affect your day-to-day -day life more than most people think. So I just encourage people to kind of get that research started and to understand that you know it's time for us to kind of fight back and take back you know the right for everyone to vote. Um, and I think it starts by you know creating that that conversation you know around all of the issues surrounding it i was very impressed and i've learned a great deal from thurgood marshall the first african-american chief justice uh and the 
1987, during the height of the bicentennial of the signing of the Constitution, etc., he delivered a speech, um, relatively short, maybe five or six pages, that's sometimes called the bicentennial speech. And if you put it in to a, a web browser, you can find it online. It's freely available. It was eventually uh, published in the Vanderbilt Law Review, and it's available in multiple places. And there he talks really against one of the interpretations of the Constitution is that it was really a fixed document. And according to some interpretation, it's we just must go back to the original mean at the time of its of the creation, unless it's amended. And he talks about the living Constitution the Constitution itself really didn't become what, which Dr. Harris also mentioned. I highly recommend everyone take a look at the Thurgood Marshall Bicentennial speech. And one of the other thing I'll say is that I'm a political theorist by training and by inclination. And uh, though I'm teaching political science, within the field of political science, I am a political theorist, which focuses a lot on the philosophical aspects and the aspects of how we justify political systems and so on. And the thing I'll mention is that I do understand and do agree with Dr. Harris when he mentioned that, that these ideas, uh, we must look at the ideas themselves and not necessarily how the people who created them practice them, et cetera, because there's, they left as we know, a lot to be desired even today. So I think that in many cases, what we see, and this we see in the history of struggle for voting, that people like uh, like uh, Frederick Douglass and others have focused on the idea that the Constitution itself was not necessarily a document of slavery, although it certainly began the process of ending it, but it did not uh, end all the other features of it, as we know, it took a civil war, many types of action. So thank you, Dr. Hayes, for putting that in. And that these ideas actually, although yes, they're important, but when you look at issues like equality or idea like equality, you tend to find that equality tends to vary and change over time through social practices. I had a conversation with uh, some students not too long ago about the uh, choice of voting venue for those who registered mm to vote here in North Carolina at home. Uh, Autumn, uh, you may be the best person to help think about this. Um, yes, yeah, so basically what you said, I mean, if students did register to vote um, at Bennett, they do have the option if they, since they're not able to be on campus right now to vote absentee for Bennett if they're out of state now. Um, so it really just depends where they feel like their vote matters the most and where they feel like, you know, the issues that they care about matter the most. For students, I say, you know, I mean, you're on campus the majority of the year. So if this is the place that you occupy, you know, the majority of your year, then maybe these races are more special to you. But I do have fellows on my team who are registered back home in like Alabama, um, just because one of our fellows feels like her um, vote would go a longer way there. So it just depends on um, where you feel like your vote matters the most and where you want to vote. When those of us who've been through a bunch of elections get talking, it gets a little kind of complicated. And that's just because we've been through so many political elections over the years. And some of you who are newer to voting, feel free to come back and ask us questions about how things work. And Autumn can kind of explain both the rules of the election and also what you need to do to get your voice so that it can be heard and how you negotiate the logistics. So I think what we wanna do is say goodbye to everybody. I wanna thank everybody who participated in this program and came out to watch the discussion in the movie. 
Thanks for joining us for this special Constitution Day program. We hope you learned a lot and that you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on the next holiday. And now, get Peace.